Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today we're joined by Great British Bake Off finalist, cookbook author and incredible baker, Kim Joy. Hello, Kim Joy. Hello, Sam. You okay? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat about films. Baking is what you're primarily known for. Yeah. Do you ever get asked to talk about movies? Not really. I don't know how to talk about films, really, but I will do. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll work it out. Yeah. (laughs) So our listeners will probably remember you from Bake Off Season 9? Yes, yes, it is Season 9. I always forget what season it is. I just know it's two years ago. I'm not even sure if it's Season (laughs) 9. I think it's something like that. Yeah. I mean, they never really big up the season number. It's it's just on. Yeah. So yeah, I think it is nine. I'm not sure. Because in America, they call it season six, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, they have different numbers. That's why I never remember. (laughs) What do you remember of that experience? I imagine it was hugely important to you, but it it was a few years ago. It was amazing. I just remember being tired all the time (laughs) and it being really stressful and quite a lot of, yeah, tons of work. Everything I do from now on, from then on, has been easy. That's been the hardest and everything else is like, that's as easy. And your cookbook is easy. So I don't have to bait for judges and it was just really hot, but lots of fun and very rewarding. What happened for you after Big Off? I suppose it's filmed way before it actually airs, but you can't really talk about it before the season's finished? Yeah, you just got to keep it secret. So you're not really doing too much whilst it's on. So you can't tell people like how far you get. Um, but by the time the series is actually on the show, it's not too hard to to keep it secret because the hardest thing is keeping it secret whilst you're actually filming so you have all those weeks of baking and buying tons of eggs and like making excuses not to see people and they're like ah seems like feels like you're avoiding people and you can't tell them why (laughs) what was the next step for you after Bake Off I saw a few of your recipes in The Guardian and your first cookbook came out last year yeah it was amazing it's totally I mean because now baking is what I do full time um so I feel really lucky to be able to do what I love. Um, and that was my hobby beforehand. Um, so yeah, getting to write a book and writing recipes for The Guardian and other things and do a second book now, which is exciting. Uh, well, it's just come out and then hopefully more. So yeah, it's been brilliant. It's so good to hear you're doing what you love now and two cookbooks in two years. That's amazing. Yeah, fingers crossed. You know, it all keeps going. Yeah. I mean, I love the cook. I just love writing cookbooks. I think it just really suits me. I just enjoy the whole process. And like I said, because Bake Off was hard, writing a cookbook feels like, but then it's just nice. <laughs> so now you've got more room to experiment. And if yeah. something doesn't work right, you've got time to perfect it. It's not going out on national TV. Yeah. I can mess it up and then just eat it and chill out and <laughs> whatever and do it again. So it's fine. I've got your second book in front of me, Christmas with Kim Joy. Yeah. Always do my research. Yeah. It's a beautiful book, I have to say. Yay. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's so beautifully put together. Uh, most of your recipes fit on one side of the page. Was it hard to condense these instructions down for the book? The help of like your editor just to like cut things down a little bit. But then also like I've learned to just make things a bit more concise. But then there's some key stuff I'm like, oh, I'll put that in there. But mostly it's just that in the Christmas book we wanted to make like shorter recipes so they're not sort of in my first book I've got a lot of um bigger bakes that take longer to do whereas the Christmas book you've got more 
you know, smaller and fun kind of things that you can do, but also a couple, some bigger bakes as well. Um, but there's a big variety in there. It's very easy to follow. And what I like is that you've got lots of vegan options in here. Yeah. Lots of alternative ways to do some of the recipes. Yeah. I mean, my first book, I did vegan recipes and people really enjoyed the alternatives in there. So I thought, well, I'm definitely going to do that in the next book. And especially because some recipes, it's so easy to put a vegan substitution. I mean, it's only like an extra couple of lines. So why not put it in there? And then in this book, I also added some gluten-free. Just because, again, a lot of them are quite straightforward for instance shoe pastry is really hard to make vegan i haven't quite achieved the vegan shoe pastry but to make gluten-free is so easy and actually i kind of almost prefer the taste of it gluten-free with shoe pastry it's just really nice it's hard to explain but it just breaks apart really nicely why did you feel that your second book should be a christmas book is christmas something that means a lot to you personally well actually it was my, it was my publisher's idea to do christmas and they said it to me and i was like oh yeah, that'd be really cool because Christmas is super colourful and, you know, you think of lots of different animals and you think of Christmas so it kind of fits in perfectly. I always love the concept of Christmas. Like, I love it. I love decorations, presents, food. food. I love food, obviously. <laughs> food is very good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got, I've got, there's been quite a few years where I haven't really properly celebrated Christmas um, because I celebrated it when I was really young, but then my family kind of stopped celebrating it because we sort of, my parents split up and then it just didn't really happen. You know, your family is quite fragmented. And then I went to university and I spent a couple of Christmases with friends' families. Uh, when I, when I, I worked in a care home with elderly people and then I worked, um, so it's like, it's 24 seven. So you either work Christmas or you work New Year. So I've worked a couple of Christmases as well. And then it's only more recently when I met my partner, Nabil, that we've really sort of enjoyed Christmas with each other. But I love, I love Christmas. I just don't think I've had a proper chance. There are so many great recipes in the book. Uh, are there any that you're particularly proud of? Oh, yeah, it's so hard to choose because I love them all. Yeah, I actually can't pick. I mean, I do like there's a little shoe snowman. And I just like how they're photographed because they look like they're like gliding along. They look like they're running and they've got funny faces and expressions. And I love that because they kind of come to life. And they're also quite, yeah, like a lot of the recipes quite achievable. I can imagine like a family making them together and mm. doing different snowmen in different positions. Before we started recording, you told me that when you're baking, you like to have the TV on in the background. Yeah. Do you ever put films on? Sometimes. But mostly it's because if I watch a film, I need to sit down and really pay attention to it. <laughs> So with films, I'm like, I generally watch a lot of trash TV, <laughs> so I don't really mind what's on in the background. But if I watch a film, I don't really watch that many films because I'm really fussy. <laughs> so, I think, so, um, so if I really, like I've decided I want to watch a film, then I really have to pay attention to it. So it's a proper event. <laughs> and if I have it on the background, I'll be like, oh, what's going on? Although sometimes I put on like tester films, like I'm not sure if I'll be into it. So I put it on the background. And maybe if I start finding myself drawn to it, then I want to put it on proper. That makes sense. If you if you stop doing the task at hand uh, and you're just watching the film. Yeah, then you're like, oh, actually, I must really like this then. Because, you know, sometimes when you're not really into a film and you're trying to give it a chance, but it's like, yeah, that's, that's the way I do it. <laughs> oh, nice. What do you look for when choosing a film? Does the film's runtime ever come into your decision making? length does really come into my decision making it's mostly about the content and what it's about 
um because i really i don't know it seems a bit weird because a lot of people see me as a really happy person which i am but i don't know in my films i like quite sad films I, well, I like it really sad or really happy so i love all the disney stuff and whatever so that's fine because it's really happy and funny but if it's a serious film i want it to be quite sad and meaningful and if it's psychological in nature or has an unhappy ending yeah usually it's about the character and something psychological and then going through some kind of journey that's interesting to have that in mind as we move on to our film today so for the podcast i asked you to select a film that's under 90 minutes long how did you approach this task well i was going through like the films i really love and just googling how long is this film <laughs> so i love the film mary and max i don't know if you've heard of i love mary and max yeah um, but that's just over one hour 30 minutes is like, oh no i can't pick that one it's just just over um but it's such a good film and then my second film i thought of was robot and frank and googled it and i was like ah it's one hour 29 yay <laughs> i felt quite proud <laughs> Oh, amazing. Well, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. I thought I knew all of the possible under 90 minute films that people might choose, but Robot Frank has never come up. Oh, really? Oh, it's an amazing choice in that respect. That makes me feel very like unique and artsy. <laughs> Like an individual. It's an independent <laughs> film. It's not one that a lot of people have yeah. seen. I'm excited to talk about it with you. It's a good film, so hopefully more people watch it. Set in the near future, Frank, a retired cat burglar, has two grown children who are concerned he can no longer live alone. Against the old man's wishes, his son buys Frank a walking, talking, humanoid robot programmed to improve his physical and mental health. Slowly, and with a bit of reluctance, Frank begins to accept his new digital companion, seeing an opportunity to use robots' unique skills to try their luck as a heist team. I think just uh, for, for listeners, if you've not heard of this film before, uh, Robot and Frank is uh, it's a debut feature film. It's a first-time filmmaker who's made this, and first-time feature film writer Jake Schreier and Christopher Ford, the director and, and writer, respectively. Um, it was released in 2012. It costs just $2.5 million, which is a lot of money, but not a lot of money to make a film. And it's 85 minutes long, and it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, the, the world-famous Sundance Film Festival, where it actually won an award. So first-time film, made on a very small budget, but was kind of a success, you know, straight out the gates. Had you seen Robot and Frank before? When did you first watch this film? So it was a few years back, really. And it's probably not a very exciting story about how I found the film. I was just looking for you know, a psychological film that's quite funny, but also slightly sad. And then I found Robot Frank and I was like, ah, oh, okay, I'll watch this. <laughs> and then it's, I don't re-watch films rarely ever, um, but this film, I really loved it. So it's the kind of film I'll be like, oh, I want to watch this with you guys because you really want to share it with other people. So I watched it mm. again um, with my partner, Nabil, and he really liked it as well. Um, so yeah, I watched it last week as well. Is this, was there anything that particularly stuck out on your most recent rewatch that maybe you hadn't appreciated before? I remember thinking, I mean, it's probably not that I didn't notice it before, but I, I rewatched it and I couldn't remember what, what, what happened with the guy. So there's the guy who came around to the library and wanted to change it into mm. like more of a digital kind of thing and more modern. And I couldn't remember what happened with him or what happened after that. It's just my memory failing on me. 
basically. Um, but then I found it interesting reading about it afterwards because we were talking about how that also reflects, you know, like books preserve your memories and that kind of is a theme throughout it because he has dementia, so he's losing his memories. And the robot as well has memories. That's why he doesn't want to wipe the robot's memories. So there's this theme of like memory and information and how it's stored, which I found really interesting. Oh, totally. Because it's, you know, on, on one hand, this film is a, it's quite a fun caper, you know, with the old cat burglar yeah. deciding to do one more job with the robot uh, <laughs> assistant. But, uh, but of course, you know, dementia is the the thing which is, you know, is, is, is kind of covered throughout, you know, his children's relationship with him through the dementia. And then, you know, memory, you're right, is key. He, he keeps insisting on going on a, to a restaurant, which is no longer there on the high street. Yeah. And his children keep telling him it's closed, but he's, he's sure he's been there recently. Yeah. And um, I didn't even think about the library, but of course, the library, libraries are how we preserve memories. Yeah. You know, books for years and years and years. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, how that theme sort of reflected throughout it's a very intimate story you know it's really about this this character and and his relationship with his children there aren't loads of characters there's not loads of locations it's set in this one place and and there's these few you know people that interact with him and it feels like you really get to know this family yeah no, it does. i think that's what i really part of what i really love about is because the characters feel quite real to me and he feels quite real and obviously it's funny which kind of helps because there's a comedy with the robot and everything which i really like I like as well that the main character is, it's not about young people as such, like the main character is an old person, older person with dementia. And we kind of, I think we kind of forget about old people in society. It's all about young people. So I like that. It's a very real issue, uh, dementia in society. And, and this film is a it's, it's set in the near future, I think it says mm. at the very beginning, but then they're using sort of science fiction to explore this, this quite real idea. Do you, you know, do, you, do you think this is a good film, I guess, at tackling this current issue? I like how, I mean, there's a lot of films with robots and it's all about the robot becoming sentient and that's like a really common theme. But in this film, it's not really about that. It's more about Frank and how the robot, like the introduction of robots in the near future, how that, changes how we might care for elderly people i think it, it it's almost something i like it because it's something that probably could happen um because at the end it's interesting at the end credits they show all the different robots you know showing like the different actions and things they can do so you can definitely see it being a thing in the future in some shape or form I, think I totally agree. You know, I think the technology it shows in the film, it's like self-driving cars, which in the real life, we're experimenting with those yeah. very fancy hologram looking mobile phones. You know, I think phones are always improving and yeah. changing. And yeah, you know, we've got these uh, robots to assist people, um, you know, maybe with physical disabilities or people who need help with mobility um, yeah. out there. And, and I think the robot sort of butler type robots that are in this film are just one step away from maybe where we are now. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and I think it's a good mechanism to explore how we treat people with dementia and elderly people in this country as well. You kind of see how his kids, into, you know, he's kind of like a flawed character in many ways. Like he... Well, he's a burglar. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, it sounds like he hasn't been the best for his son. So you can kind of see that it's not a straightforward relationship. And you can see where his son's anger towards him kind of comes from and the frustration as well, because, you know, it's difficult and frustrating, you know, um, you know, 
visiting your family member with dementia every single week, even though you've not had the best relationship before that. And I like how, yeah, it's not just this perfect kind of family. Um, and he's not a perfect person. I like that. And I like the funny bits. And it's, um, I was just say, I think a film, you know, like this about a very real issue, it always helps if there's moments of comedy, you know, yeah. it helps the message get across um, and helps us relate to the characters a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think I mentioned Mary and Max earlier, but I feel like it's got a similar kind of feel for me because I love that film and it's kind of got that sort of comedy and sadness um, as well as tackling like really realish, like real problems. You have got to be kidding me. I'm not this pathetic. I don't need to be spoon-fed by some goddamn robot. Jen, it's this. It's not like that. Okay, it's new. It's it's more like a like a butler. You're gonna leave me with this death machine? What's the problem? It's a robot. Hi, Frank. It's a pleasure to meet you. How do you know? There's obviously the dementia element that we talked about, which powers the film, but it does build up to quite an emotional climax. I think first with Frank's conversation with the robot who's talking about having its memory wiped. Yeah. But also the, the revelation of um, the ex-wife character yeah. uh, in the library. I mean, I think the first time I watched that, I didn't see that coming at all. And I was like, oh, how's it happening? You're like, oh, that makes sense. And yeah, I think that's a really nice touch in the film. And yeah, and I think the whole Frank not wanting to write, wipe the robot's memory, even though the robot is like... I'm not a real person, I'm not a real person, you can just wipe my memory. But I think that's such a powerful moment because it's, in a way, Frank, like Frank's losing his memory. So the robot is kind of an extension of that feeling like he's not remembering certain things. And yeah, I mean, that's why having the robot there really highlights that where he's feeling and issues with his dementia. I think as the robot is is sort of left with Frank to look after him when his children aren't there, it's something for him to talk to yeah. and to express his own emotions. And the robot's almost like his conscience. <laughs> you yeah. know, he gets to say what's right and wrong. That's uh, true. To Frank. And his robot doesn't really judge him either, because the robot, yeah, <laughs> doesn't know what's illegal and what's not legal. <laughs> Yeah, the robot's there just to help Frank. And I guess Frank sees that in the film where the robot sort of shoplifts accidentally yeah. uh, for him. Uh, throughout the film, Frank is shoplifting a, a, a shop, a small shop on the high street that he goes to um, and collecting the trinkets from it. And, um, and, and he, he stops when he's with the robot because he's found out, but the robot sort of takes it home because the robot just thinks that Frank wants it. And yeah. the robot is there just to help Frank. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter who owns the item or whatever. Yeah, and then that's when Frank gets his ideas about, oh, we could do a big heist. <laughs> I love it. There's lots of films about, you know, robbing banks and robbing homes and that something, um, but not with a, you know, very elderly, um, you know, quite frail in this respect, uh, cat burglar uh, and his robot assistant. <laughs> I love that. It's amazing. And I also love the fact that it kind of, it really emphasises the fact that when you're, you, you always need your hobbies to occupy yourselves. Mm. And, you know, his family, are, you know, telling him he needs to go do some gardening or, you know, eat healthfully, but that's not what he's into. He doesn't want to go for walks. He wants to like go on a heist. <laughs> you know, he's a very successful cat burglar, but he has served some time in prison for it. But it's what he was good at. 
It's yeah. his passion. It's what he did when he was a younger man. And I guess it's him proving to people he's still fit and healthy, you know, yeah. if he can do this. Uh, I think that's what it is, you know, and, and I sort of get that, you know, there's nothing worse than people saying, oh, you can't do that anymore. You shouldn't yeah. do this. And you're like, no, I want to prove myself. Yeah. I will burgle you. <laughs> yeah, just because you're older doesn't mean you can't do stuff that, yeah, mm. you want to that you enjoy and you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it is robbing <laughs> or robbing people's homes. Yeah, no, we do not, don't condone that, but. <laughs> do not condone that, but, uh, but the film is a good way for you to explore that. There's a really nice scene. So the neighbor that they end up robbing uh, in the film is suspicious of Frank because they know that he's got a, a, a criminal record. And the sheriff, when the sheriff comes over, it's not, they're not greeting him with suspicion. Frank is this legendary cat burglar and the sheriff has read all of the stories about his cases and it's kind of this very sweet moment of a, like a fan meeting a celebrity. Yeah, that is really sweet. I like that. <laughs> It's brilliant. Uh, and it's, it's also what you would think if you were an outsider on this, you know, you wouldn't suspect the frail man who lives next door to you. Um, like the neighbor does. Um, I think the policeman's reaction is much more realistic. Like, well, it's not going to be Frank, you know, the yeah. guy with dementia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other key character in this film is Robot. Um, I really love that design because again, it feels achievable. It feels like we could have robots that look like this in the future. Yeah. So, a very human looking, quite small, um, yeah. sort of white robot. Yeah, I, I thought I liked the design of robot. Yeah, felt like we could have that. I like, you know, I was saying before, like at the ending, you see they based it on these robots because it shows all footage of real robots and the things that they could achieve. And yeah, it's amazing looking at that. So they've obviously based it on what could be. It just feels like it's a couple of, it's what's maybe a couple of years for, away for us in real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, robot cyclists. I want one. It'd be amazing. Imagine. Like at the beginning when the robot cooks Frank a meal, me and Nabil are sat there like, oh my God, we want that. But then obviously Frank hated it at first because it's the loss of his independence. And he was like, what? <laughs> Don't need this robot. <laughs> <laughs> We sort of have that moment where the robot cooks and then um, he doesn't like it, but he doesn't like it because it's about the robot making it. And then his daughter visits and she cooks for him and it's it's not as good as the food the robot makes. <laughs> yeah, and his daughter is very, there's this whole ethics around um, robots in film around that time. Um, so yeah, she's trying to turn the robot off and be like, no, I'll cook for you. You know, you don't need that robot. But at this point, Frank's like, but I like the robot now. At that point in the film, you have Frank, he even says to his daughter, you know, the robot's my friend. Yeah. You know, he's come to like the robot so much. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun looking at how they actually achieved a robot because this film's made with such a low budget. The robot is uh, actually an actor in a suit. Oh, really? He's moving like a robot. It's, uh, the robot's played by Rachel Ma, who's a dancer um, and an actress. And, um, and I guess that dance training has helped her move in a very robotic way. Oh, I never knew that. That's really interesting. I think it makes the film even more charming, really. It wasn't achieved with a big special effects budget. You know, it was quite, yeah. feels quite old school, actually. We'll just build a really good costume and we'll get a trained person inside it to, to be the robot and to react to Frank and to, to, do, yeah. to do that things to help the performance there. And the helmet was designed by the same company that makes the helmets for Daft Punk. It's got that very oh, iconic kind uh, of look. <laughs> that makes sense. And then Peter Skarsgård, the actor who provided the voice, was put on later on because the voice is very good of the robot as well. It's very oh, yeah. you know, not emotional, but it doesn't sound too computery. Like it's got a bit of a humanness to it. Yeah, that's really well done. 
They didn't program you about stealing, uh, shoplifting, robbery? I have working definitions for those terms. I don't understand. Do you want something for dessert? Do you have any programming that uh, makes you obey the law? Do you want me to incorporate state and federal law directly into my programming? No, 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 no. You leave it as it is. You're starting to grow on me. Thank you, Frank. It's time for your enema. If you could have a robot assistant for baking, what would be the one job that you'd get it to do? Oh my God, can I get it to do more than one job? <laughs> I really want a robot, it's amazing. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yes, I would love a robot. Um, well, I, I don't really like tempering chocolate, so I feel like that could be something a robot could very easily achieve. Gosh, just everything. Tempered chocolate, <laughs> make my cakes. I don't know. If I could just walk around and keep me company, that would be very nice. So just, yeah, it'd be nice to have a little robot keep me company. A proper me. robot assistant. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I'm just picturing now, like, the whole, imagine, like, the Bake Off tent and everyone has robot assistants. Imagine the future of robots. Amazing. <laughs> I think we're, I don't know, I feel like the, the voice-activated things in our homes, like Alexa and Apple, like Siri, I feel like robots are so close. They are. I think the one robot Gizmo I'd quite like is those, uh, and they have them now, the, the robot hoovers um, that just sort of oh! go around and, and clean up. I was <laughs> looking at those the other day. Yeah, they meant to be really good. Our cats, though, would... I don't know how the cats would react to that. <laughs> Maybe it'd be a nice, a nice plaything for them. Yeah, it'd be broken in like a week. Day. I think for me, it's um, the cat. We live in a in a flat with lots of like laminate flooring, and the cat fur is is the thing that we're always hoovering up. Oh, so if they could yeah. just go and tidy up after the cats, that would be very nice. That would be good. Just follow the cats around. <laughs> Do you have a favourite scene in this film? I mean, I like many many scenes, but I really love you know when the police are all in Frank's house and looking around, and then a uh, robot does like a countdown sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the stun hunters just sat on the stairs like this isn't real this is a trick yeah uh, yeah frank's told him to do this but then last minute all the police run out of the house because they're really scared that the robot's actually going to self-destruct but hunter just stays there on the stairs like it's not real it's like, i told you so <laughs> i love it <laughs> it's such a good gag because i think yeah frank's trying to make the robot be a bit more like Frank, be a bit more playful yes. uh, earlier in the film. And he, he makes the joke about, you know, self-destruct sequence initiators. <laughs> uh, and it's so nice for it to come back at that pivotal scene where Frank could be arrested at that point, but Robot yeah. helps him out. Good old Robot. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really nice. I think the, I, I love the beginning of the film, but towards the end where Frank and Robot have really bonded, um, I feel like that's, you know, that's, that's movie magic. Um, yeah. Well, what's your favourite scene? It's the double whammy of um, revealing that, uh, seeing the photo of the librarian character played by Susan Strandon and, and a younger Frank realizing that they were they were married and they're actually mother and father to the children we've seen because um, it's done so well throughout the film they keep saying you know like we've called mom so they know that that, that their mum is still around but we haven't been introduced to her uh, mm. yet and Frank's got this great relationship with the librarian and then we finally see why you know it's his wife but he's forgotten and that's kind of just shows how devastating dementia can be mm. so I, I really enjoyed that payoff but also when Robot finally convinces Frank to wipe um, its memory 
mm-hmm. and the little sort of switch comes out and Frank really doesn't want to do it. And I guess, you know, memory is so important to him with dementia that he doesn't want to take another thing's sort of memory. And I, I think those scenes are almost back to back in the film and it's sort yeah. of the emotional climax. So I responded really well. It's like he was saying earlier, you know, enjoying films that you can be emotionally invested in. Yeah. And, and I was really, I was, I was sad for, Frank's relationship with his wife and his family, but also for Robot's relationship with Frank. Yeah. You know, I was really caring about the robot character in this. No, me too. <laughs> I think the film's full of great moments and it's only 85 minutes long. So it's not, it's not a huge um, sort of thing to ask someone to take a chance on, I don't think. No, yeah. It's nice and short. Well, there we have it. Robot and Frank is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. It's quite a recent edition, uh, originally released in 2012, but not seen by a huge audience at the time. So we'll get this up on a big screen with a big crowd. Amazing. I can give you a copy of the film and a venue to put this on, but you've got a blank check to dress the space. How would you like to present this to an audience? So, I mean, the cinema like has to be really like futuristic, doesn't it? Like futuristic seats maybe with like electronic bits where you can like, you know, raise your, bring your popcorn over to you and switch it out and bring your drink over. And then maybe you could have robots in there as well, like serving you extra food and stuff. So lots of food. And just by coincidence, I recently did a recipe for the garden of vegan robot fondant fancies. (laughs) So you could definitely serve little vegan robot fondant fancies. And there could be little, yeah, versions of robot. And yeah, just really futuristic. We can make this a really high-tech screening. Maybe we can have robots tearing tickets and usher customers to their seats, serving their fondant fancies on trays. And at the end, to get everyone out of the theatre, they could do the self-destruct sequence. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. Everyone at that point would know what we're referring to. (laughs) We could have it on screen and it could come up, uh, but only 10 seconds to leave. Could be quite a hurry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for this. Uh, it sounds like a delicious screening and a great film. Thank you so much for choosing a film for us today, Kim Joy. Thank you. Christmas with Kim Joy is out now wherever you get your books. It's the perfect book for this holiday season. We might be doing some baking from it at 90 Minutes or Less Towers. We'll post the results on our Instagram feed. How can people stay up to date with what you're doing next, Kim Joy? Are you on social media? Um, yeah, so I've got the Instagram, Twitter, all the stuff. And it's just at, at Kim Joy's Kitchen. And you're on YouTube as well? Oh, yeah. Kim Joy. I think it's just Kim Joy. Yeah, on YouTube. So, yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. I love watching those videos. Thank you. I need to do some more filming this week. I'm going to get on it. Thank you, Kim Joy. It's been it's been great talking. Thank you. Thanks for chatting to me. Thank you, Kim Joy. And thank you for listening. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website at 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. Merry Christmas. See you in the new year. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.